If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the New Testament book of Acts and chapter 14. We're going to pick up there. Once again, great to have you here with us this morning. I'll just do a quick review. As we as a church have been going through the book of Acts in the New Testament, where we learn a lot about the early church and the early followers of Jesus. And the last couple of weeks we've had Don Smith uh, speaking. And two weeks ago Don uh, taught from John chapter 4, just about the woman who met Jesus and didn't understand who Jesus was. And, And the whole point, if you just knew who Jesus was, how that would change everything. And then last week talking about the importance of making a decision, no matter what stage of life we are in, to make Jesus a priority, that Jesus is worth going after, and that we just can't think about waiting until we always think, well, if we just get this finished, then I'll do something about the importance of how now is the time to follow Jesus. And we're going to pick up the story again of a guy named Paul and his friend Barnabas. And if you remember over the last couple of weeks uh, in Acts chapter 14, we see earlier that these followers of Jesus, so Jesus was with us, died on the cross that we've been singing about this morning, resurrected, returned to heaven, sent his Holy Spirit, his followers, his disciples followed him, they gathered together, and then they began to go out as Jesus commanded them to, and they began to teach about Jesus, preach about Jesus, model what a life of following Jesus was like, and people believed, and they started communities and churches and these different places. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. And if you remember uh, three weeks ago, uh, Paul and Barnabas were at a place called Lystra, and it was an incredible, a man got healed, and the people who didn't know anything about God thought Paul and Barnabas were gods, and they tried to worship them, and Paul and Barnabas were like, no, don't do it, we're just men, it's God in heaven, and how Paul began to preach to them, and then they get interrupted, and this is where we're going to pick up the story here today from Acts 14. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, that's where Paul and Barnabas had just previously been in Because of the message of Jesus, it caused quite a stir. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. That's like physically with stones as in to kill him. And dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, and some translations say hardships, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And we'll pick up next week more in the chapter 15 about elders and local churches and apostles and things like that. But today, we just want to take a look at mainly that key verse about how we as followers of Christ are going to encounter many tribulations and many hardships. And really, we begin by looking at this. Paul uses, or Luke, who writes Acts, says just three times in that quick summary, he uses the word disciple. And I just want to start by taking a look at what do we mean by the word disciple? And what do we mean when we say that we're followers of Jesus or believers in Jesus? And unfortunately, and it happened all throughout history, and certainly in our day and in our time, a lot of the times we as Christians present Jesus as the fix-it. He's the fixer-upper to all of our problems. And in a way, he is, but how we present it sometimes is a lot of the times, really, it's not about Jesus, it's more about me. And in North America, unfortunately, with church, a lot of the times, 
what we've done is we've made following Jesus all about Jesus will solve all our problems. Jesus will make us healthy. He'll make us wealthy. And we'll be prosperous in everything that we do. And that's sort of, it is really like a marketing scheme of the church. And that's not necessarily a good thing, as we're going to see today. And so we're going to take lots of things we can talk about, but I feel it's important just to take one uh, key thing this morning, and just to really spend some time on it, is we need to make sure in our own mentality, for us personally, but also in what we look at as a church and in sharing what we call the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we don't have that mindset or that expectation that following Jesus is all about me. Jesus is going to make me happy. Jesus is going to satisfy everything about me. Jesus is going to meet all my needs. And a lot of those things are true, but the motivation and the expectation behind them aren't about Jesus. They're more about me. And when we look at what discipleship is really about, discipleship is about this. Discipleship isn't just about fixing me, meeting my needs. Discipleship is actually following someone. And here's just one quick little definition. It's a close personal relationship between the disciple, or the student, the apprentice, the trainer. There's different words you can use. And a teacher or a master. And as I was going through um, finding a definition for disciple from one of my study Bibles, this is a great quote for what it is to be a disciple. It says this, to train as a follower, not just academic impartation, but deep shaping of character and the cultivation of a worldview through a close personal relationship between the disciple and the teacher. So when we talk about discipleship, it's not just head knowledge, which is important, but folks, it goes way beyond that. Okay? When we talk about being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not just memorizing facts that on a history test we can get an A plus in. Folks, it's this. We follow a living person today. We follow in a close relationship. That's what it means to be a Christian. There's different ways of describing what it is to be a Christian. Okay, but one of the key things is we're actually in a relationship with the living God. Jesus is alive today, and we're a follower. We're a student. We're an apprentice. We're getting trained by Jesus, and it affects the whole of our lives. So Christianity isn't just an add-on to other things in your life. So you might describe yourself. They might give you a form at the hospital and say, well, my blood type is this, and my religion is this, and all these different things. And that's just sort of one piece of the puzzle. It's not like that. If you're a follower of Jesus, it should affect the whole of our lives. It affects, I love that, not just academic, it affects our behavior. It affects our worldview. The lens that we view the world through should be affected if we're a follower of Jesus Christ. So everything looks different. Our view of money, sex, power, all those things should look different because we're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what, it, that's what we're talking about, to be a disciple. It's not just fix me to make me happy. It's actually this. I follow Jesus. That's what it is to be a disciple. I follow not just a book, not just rules and regulations, actually a relationship with Jesus where I can get to know Jesus more. He takes the initiative to bring us into that relationship, but once we're in that relationship, 
we get to walk with Jesus. And that's why I found what Robin shared this morning very helpful. Okay, that reminder that we can walk with God, that we can be on that same path as God, that we can stick close to him, knowing that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's what we're talking about. It's really following Jesus. And the thing about following Jesus that we have to understand, again, it's it's our expectations and what we think of what it is to follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus, a lot of incredible things happen. Okay, I'm going to start on the peace, war and peace. We'll start on the peace. When we follow Jesus, incredible things take place. And when I say follow Jesus, again, I'm not just saying in a sort of philosophical way. I'm talking about following Jesus is a supernatural thing. As we've already sung about this morning, as some of the scriptures that were read out, following Jesus is this. We were lost. Okay, We're God's creation. We're made in his image. But because of sin, disobeying God, we're marred. Okay, We have lots of good things about us, and we can laugh about kids, but it's so true. Gary said it. In a sense, they're not terrible, but in a way, you know what? We're terrible as people. So we say our kids are cute little angels. Okay? They're the little devils sometimes as well. It's funny watching that video, except for when you're a parent. I wasn't laughing at a lot of the things that were going on. I, I can tell who doesn't have little kids right now, because you're the ones who are laughing, okay? The rest of us are just like, that's exactly what it's like. Because when we're born, okay, there's this great paradox that we're born... We're God's creation, so we honor every living creature. That's why okay, we're against abortion and things like that because every person made in the image of God is important, we believe. Okay? So we believe in that sanctity of life. Absolutely. But we're also born with a sin nature. That what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden way back a long time ago when they disobeyed God, the disease of sin was given to them, and from that point on, it's been handed down to every person who's been born on planet Earth, except for one person. That's Jesus Christ. So we need a rescue. We have a disease we cannot cure ourselves. We need an outside source. And we'll get to that in a minute, how Jesus did that. But when we put our trust in Jesus, we're cured from that disease. The Bible says that our old self, our old man, different words it uses, is dead. We've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but now we've been raised to live a new life with God. We have a new nature. Now we have a new DNA spiritually. That's now Jesus. It's not the old Adam. It's not the old nature. So there's hope for living in this world, both physically, that we can now live a new life that pleases God instead of selfish or for other things, We're also given what the Bible says. We're given the Holy Spirit. We're given God's Spirit itself as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We have a great hope of a great future in heaven. So it affects things here on earth. We're at peace with God now. You can remember the time I was filled with the Holy Spirit. The most powerful thing was I finally knew and experienced peace with God. The weight of the world was off my shoulder. I could have floated out of the room that night because I knew that because of Jesus, I was made in a right relationship with God. Hallelujah. It was nothing I could do. It's the most incredible thing on planet Earth. There's never a feeling like it. I was at peace 
with God. All of my striving, self-righteousness, everything, seeking after other religions, all those things were stilled because I knew I was at peace with God. I knew I was adopted. I knew I had sonship. I knew that I could cry out, Abba, Father. I knew that God was real. He was my dad. He loved me. I knew I had now a new purpose in life, and that was to follow him. I was assured of salvation. I didn't have to worry about thinking about suicide anymore, any of those things, because I knew that God loves me and had a purpose and a plan for my life. That's peace with God. We're born again, the Bible says. So when we become Christians, again, it's not just head knowledge. Okay? It's not just adding something to our lives. It's not just following rules and regulations. It's a living relationship with Jesus Christ. We're at peace with God, and now we can live a life that pleases him. But at the same time, following Jesus means we're at war with everything else. And this is the part we don't always understand as Christians. We focus, and rightly so, on many of the good things. But as soon as you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, we're baptized in water, we go down, we're now identified with Christ, we're identified with his death and resurrection, his new life, we're now marked with the Holy Spirit. It's like we've been branded now as Christians. And guess what? War breaks out against everything else. War breaks out against our own flesh. Okay? The old nature is gone, but we still battle the flesh. That desire to be independent of God. It's what we have to battle against. We have to say no to the flesh. We have to crucify the flesh. The flesh says this, feed me, feed me, feed me. The flesh says, I need it now. Okay, lust is, I need it now. Whether it's sexual stuff, whether it's food, whether it's entertainment, that's feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. That's our flesh. And the Bible says we have to learn to crucify our flesh. And we have the Holy Spirit and we have God's word to help us with that. But we're at war with the flesh. And we have to realize that. It's a wake-up call. Okay? We're also at war with the world that we live in. Because the world we live in is a different kingdom. So we have to recognize, and I think sometimes the problems we have is, is because we don't, we don't understand that we're in a battle. Okay? We're at war with the world. So we see it all the time. Whatever situation you're in, whether you're single, married, young, old, okay, whatever context you're in, you're going to know if you're following Jesus, it's a battle, it's a war. So what you value okay, is going to be at odds probably with those around you. Okay, Angela and I were watching the other night. I lost the guys O'Leary from uh, the Dragon's Den. Kevin O'Leary, he's got another. He was on there with George, who I can't pronounce his last name, Strombolopoulos, or whatever. And they did the bio of O'Leary, who's a billionaire and, you know, his business and all that. Anyways, talk about a different value system. The world sees successful, billionaire, popular on TV, and he's saying, I'm telling the truth, everything. And George asks him, yeah, but in your book, because he's a new book coming out, what about that you never saw your kids, and what about, that's just part of the sacrifice. And I just like, <laughs> there are a lot of disciples of O'Leary. Okay, that's just that's just collateral damage. Okay, my kids when they were young, that's when I needed to be the busiest, so that got put to the side. It's a value system, folks. Okay, you're going to be at war with that. 
So wherever you're in, you've got to understand, I'm battling here by following Jesus. I'm at war with other values, other philosophies, other ways of doing things. Being integrous, being honest, being merciful, how you raise your kids, how you remain single, all those things, and be pure, all those things, at war with the world around us. So it's a wake-up call. And Jesus is our example. And I so helped Janine reading out that scripture this morning. was really helpful. Okay? Just about Jesus dying on the cross and everything he had to go through. Jesus is our example. And folks, if we look at the life of Jesus, we should not be surprised that we're not called to an easy, gold, yellow brick road life. Because Jesus left heaven. Okay? I find it hard to get out of a warm bed in the morning, okay? To start my day. Jesus left heaven. Angels, living creatures, elders, worshiping. Incredible. We can't even think about what heaven was like. Perfect relationship with his Father in heaven, okay? Incredible. Whatever things that help us think about what heaven is like, that's what Jesus was there physically. And he left it. And we celebrate it at Christmas, don't we? He was born of a virgin. Only one, because he needed to help bring an end to this cancer called sin. And he was born by the Holy Spirit, so he didn't have that sin nature, that disease, when he was born. But yet he was born a man. That's the great paradox. And Jesus left heaven to come to planet Earth. And he came amid scandal. Okay? Joseph, Mary, yeah, he got pregnant out of wedlock. Scandal. Dealt with that. He's just a baby. Okay? Wars declared on his age group. So he has to be a refugee. He has to go to Egypt. And the other boys his age are wiped out, killed, annihilated. That's what Jesus was born into. And the Bible says he grew up, he had to learn obedience to his father. Jesus, perfect, you know. Yet he learned obedience. Twelve years old or whatever, in the temple, I'm about my father's business. And the book of Hebrews, Adam read out earlier, says that Jesus learned obedience. It's just like, The human part of him learned obedience, obeying his parents, and as we see, doing what his Father in heaven asked him to do. And as we go through, you can see this, okay? Jesus, our example, was tempted. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. He gets baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. God speaks. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And the first thing the Holy Spirit does is this. Takes him into the desert where he's tempted by the devil. Jesus, just do this. Jesus, just do that. And he's like, no, it is written. He's won the battle of temptation. Next thing, okay, he's betrayed. Those closest to him, Judas betrays him, who he poured his life into in those three years. Peter betrayed him. All these things about Peter. Peter saying just a couple minutes earlier, Jesus, even if you die, I'm going to be with you. He took the sword, cut off Malchus's ear, all those things. And yet a few hours later, I don't even know the man. And Jesus there to hear it. He was betrayed by those closest to him. What else? Janine read it out already. He was stripped. In a world where sexuality and sexual pleasure and everything is like number one on the grid, the shame of being stripped before his captors. The shame that would come with that. He was flogged. He was physically beaten. He was mocked. He was on the cross. Yeah, you saved others. You can't even say yourself. If you really prophesy all these things. 
He experienced it all. He did it, as Janine said, in our place. And then he was crucified. Folks, this is the Jesus we follow. So if we're expecting health, wealth, and prosperity, I hope it gets shattered this morning from our North American point of view. But Jesus is our example. There's lots of good news that comes from this, but you've got to let that sink in for a minute. But that's the Jesus we follow. He's our example. Now the good news is this. The book of Hebrews says, when he returns to heaven, as he's done, he's our great high priest. And the book of Hebrews is wonderful at saying this. Because he went through all those things, we have a great high priest who prays for us, who is not unsympathetic towards what we're going through because he himself has gone through it. Folks, that should encourage you more than anything else. No matter what you're going through, Jesus has been it. So if you feel like you've been part of a scandal and ashamed, Jesus has walked through it. You go through every one of those things. You're being tempted, Jesus was tempted. Okay? Physically abused, verbally abused, betrayed, mocked, laughed at, scorned, whatever it might be. And here in North America, most of us haven't got to the point of physical punishment, physical abuse. But many parts of the world, it's the norm, let alone even to death. Folks, we're trying to ground things in. Okay, in our busy lifestyles here in North America, okay, we've got to stop and take a time out and say, what, who am I actually following? Okay, what, what are my expectations of who I'm following? We see it in the life of Paul. Do you remember Paul's calling? I always think it's interesting because I do it myself. I always think of Paul like Indiana Jones. Okay? I always think, man, if I could be like Paul, like, it would be so exciting. And then I stop for a moment and I think of Paul's life. You remember Paul back in Acts 9 on Damascus Road? He's anti-Christian. He's persecuting the Christians. And you think, man, if I could just have an encounter with Jesus, if Jesus would just reveal himself to me, I would become a follower. There would be no doubt about it. Paul's anti-Christian, and Jesus reveals himself to him. He literally knocks him off his horse. He blinds him, and Jesus speaks to him. Do you remember what Jesus said? First of all, Paul says, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Jesus doesn't do this. Now, Paul, I've got a great home improvement plan for your life. Okay? I'm going to help you. We're going to fix it up. We can do this together. Gosh darn it, you're a good guy. You know what? We'll fix you up. We've got a good thing for you. You know, if you just stick with me, your life will be all these things. No, he says this. Go, and I'm going to tell you what to do. And Paul is so rattled, he doesn't eat or drink for three days. And Jesus sends Ananias to go. And you remember what he says to Ananias? And Ananias I'm not going. This guy's been persecuting Christians. It's a trick. And Jesus is like, go, because Paul's my chosen servant. I'm going to send him to the Gentiles. And during those three days, what's, what is Jesus doing? Okay, I'll read out what Jesus says to him. Jesus says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. We've got to be careful when we say, man, if God would just call me, then I would 
go. He's calling Paul and saying, in that silence, I'm showing him what he must suffer for my name. Many things, you look at the life of Paul, you see them in Jesus. You see them in Jesus, you see them in Paul's life. We see it in Paul's life. Paul went anti-Christian to being a devoted follower of Jesus. Again, not just academic, but passionately following the living Christ, filled the Holy Spirit, and then he goes where Jesus calls him to go. Sometimes he stays where Jesus says, he, Paul wants to go, and Jesus says, the Holy Spirit says, stay. What did he do? He went and preached Jesus everywhere he went. Okay? He taught about the message of salvation. You can go through. We've read them. Gary did it, one of the ones from Acts, and there's different ones later on in Acts. Paul shares a story. He models something. He stays with the people, and he models what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So he just doesn't preach and then move on. He stays, and he says, this is how you live your life. This is how it affects your lifestyle. This is how it affects your behavior. This is how it affects your thoughts about all these things. This is how it affects your worldview. All those things. And all the way along, he gets persecuted in different ways. And then somehow, usually, he miraculously escapes. And then you just repeat the story. I mean, at the end of this one, okay, all these things happen in these places. And what does Paul do? He says, okay, guys, now we're going back through all the places I just got beat up in and almost killed. We're going back to meet with the disciples. You're just like, Paul, take the shortcut home. (laughs) He doesn't. That's his life. Folks, this is the point we want to get home this morning. Okay? We are in a battle. And I think most of the time, we as Christians struggle because we forget to be a follower of Christ. And sometimes it's easier here because we're a bit more comfortable in North America. We don't think we're in a battle. And so we're surprised when things don't go well. And we're surprised that it's a battle and everything. And I do it myself. Man, man, it's just like, it doesn't seem like anything is easy. I want it easy. That's not what Jesus has called us to do. Folks, we need to expect it in every way. Because we're in a different kingdom. We've got a different leader. He affects our values. He affects our passions. He affects our viewpoint on everything on planet Earth. He affects our future. He affects what we think about eternity. Folks, we have to be expecting sometimes, and might go more this way in the future, physical beings. And certainly if we're to go out to the nations, as I believe many of us are going to do from here, we're going to go to the nations. And we have to be ready that in many places we're going to get physically beat up for what we believe and who we're following. So it's a real taking stock of what we really believe. We might be more open to this in our society, verbal abuse. Okay, we get made fun of, we get put down, people laugh at us, all these different things. Okay, there's a lot of social things with it. Okay? And a lot of it, you know, but some of it really does hurt, doesn't it? Okay, people don't understand us, so people mock us for different things. Everything from, I mean, you just take the big ones, okay? Money, sex, and power. Again, if you just did a case study on all of our lives over those ones. So sex. When we're single, we say no. Okay? 
Sex is from God. It's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. Pleasure came from God. Okay, we've got to get that one back in the proper order. Sex is God's idea. God's a God of pleasure. It came from him. Okay, so we don't have to be uptight about sex. At the same time, he's put boundaries in place for our own well-being and also to glorify him. So if we're single, we say this. Okay, I'm not going to have sexual intercourse. I'm not even going to play around. I'm not going to do oral sex, all those things, because my body doesn't belong to me. More, it belongs to God. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, individually and together. Okay, so I'm going to put boundaries in place. And even if I'm the only one, I don't care. This is how I'm following Jesus. And Jesus is going to empower me to live a life that pleases him. And if Jesus can say no to temptation and his spirit lives within me, then he empowers me to say no to temptation as well. And you're going to be made fun of. And you're going to be misunderstood. And you're going to be pressured. And you're going to be set up. And you're going to have to run. Because you're going to put boundaries in place and you're going to say, I know right from wrong and no matter who else believes it and whatever the world tells me, I'm going to follow this and you're going to be set up. I know what's happened to me. My sports teams, they know where I stand, and they still set me up all the time. I think it's a big joke. Okay? They'll set, try to set me up, and you've got a split-second decision. I'm going to run, and I don't care. They make fun of me. I don't care. Folks, this is real-life stuff. Okay? If we're a follower of Jesus Christ, it should affect how we view sex, and everything goes along with it. Not just intercourse, but everything. We keep our clothes on, keep our hands to ourselves, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we're careful what we watch on TV, okay? not in a religious, you know, just say, you know what, I've got to make sure that isn't affecting me. So if it's affecting my view on marriage, on homosexuality, all those things, then maybe I shouldn't watch it. You've got to be wise, folks. You've got to know, you've got to wake up and say, are things really affecting me? So sex is a big one. You get married, okay? Sex is still a big one. So the devil will do everything he can before you get married to try to have you have sex. And then once you get married, he'll try everything he can to get you not to have sex with your spouse. Weird how that works. It's true. Everything before, pressure, pressure, pressure. Then you get married and you think, ah, and then he'll do everything to ruin your sex life once you get married. Folks, following Jesus, you've got to have a renewed mind. What does the Bible say? Okay, that's a big one. So you want to be countercultural? Focus on the sexual one and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. And if you're single, whatever the case might be, you can be countercultural by remaining pure in your thoughts, and in your actions, and in your attitudes. And if you're married, okay, you can be an example to others in this world, divorce rate, even those who stay together just for the kids, but they're not having a good sex life, all that. You can be an example. Say, hey, we've got to talk through things. We've got to forgive things. We've got to communicate. We've got to set time aside. We've got to make it a priority to work on our marriage, all those different things. That can be an example. But you're going to be persecuted, so you better expect it. If you know what's coming, it's a bit easier to deal with. Money's another one. We don't have time to get in all of it, but money's another one. People, I mean, when they look at 
Angela and I, we make decisions. Here's where we're going to put our money. Here's where we're not going to put our money. People can't believe it. They think we're crazy. So we go without X, Y, and Z because we put our money and invest it in the kingdom things. People are just like, you're crazy. Yeah, we are. We're crazy for Jesus. Right on. Because it all belongs to him. It's all from him. We're wise. so We're taking care of the future. We're trying to put money away, all that. But it's not going to rule us. Because we're seeking first the kingdom. Okay, it's not all about clothes and food and everything. It's about seeking first the kingdom. What's your perspective of money? Does it control you? If it controls you, you're a disciple of money, not Jesus. Okay, and you need to get some help. Okay, power. How do we use power and authority? How are we under those in authority? Are we rebellious? Are we always kicking against authority? Or do we understand, hey, God's placed people in authority over us. And I'm actually working for Jesus, not just those in authority. How are we in authority? Do we use it favoritism? Do we use it to abuse people? Do we use it in a manipulative way? Or do we do it to empower, to serve all those things? Folks, if we're following Jesus, here's the thing. I don't have all the answers to your unique situation, but here's what I'm asking. Can you just stop for a moment and even take stock of some of these things and say, how does it affect my life? And I would say what I get convicted with the most, I don't feel I'm persecuted enough. (laughs) Am I even persecuted at all? And if I'm not being persecuted, maybe I'm not that different from the world around me. That's the real challenge. And I don't mean to be, you know, I'm a Jesus freak, just do stupid things to cause a reaction sort of persecution. I'm talking about everyday life. Anybody can do stupid things to get a reaction and say, hey, I'm a Jesus freak. That's not what I'm talking about. In everyday life, people know there's a difference because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. All right, we're pretty much out of time, but let me just quickly finish on this one. I'm saying this more to you as individuals, but the context actually that Paul's speaking to is actually local churches. That his context, and we're going to read more about it next week and we're going to understand. When he's saying be a follower of Jesus, there's a personal part to that, but there's also a together part of that. He's saying his way of making disciples was actually to put them together in community. And in North America, this is my thing. Are we an audience or an army? Are we spectators or followers, because our biggest thing, I think, sometimes is we just try to entertain when actually we want to do things well, all those things. Don't get me wrong, but our purpose is to get us equipped to be followers of Jesus Christ so that we can be about the things he wants us to do. And that's more like an army than an audience. So we're not really much into spectators, just to be brutally honest. Okay? We love people come, you're new, Checking things out, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. You're more than welcome to be here. But we'll be bold in saying what our goal is. Our goal is that you'll become followers and disciples of Jesus Christ personally, but also together. Where it's this local church or another local church, we'll help you get fitted in, but be plugged in somewhere. That's being a follower of Jesus. Local church is vital. For us to grow in all these things, encouragement is key. How do we do that? It's personal strengthening, but there's corporal, corporate strengthen so that's why we're in the word ourselves okay we got to feed ourselves and part of what we try to do is we're trying to teach you how to feed yourselves 
So you learn how to read the Bible. You learn how to understand it's a relationship. God, when I read your word, you can speak to me. You can mold me and shape me. I understand that when I read the word, it's going to be countercultural to what TV and Internet and my friends say to me. So I'm going to have to, do I submit to them or do I submit to the word of God? I need to learn what it is to be led by the Holy Spirit, to hear God's voice, that God speaks today. All those things personally, but also together. So on Sunday morning, hopefully, from the preaching of God's word, you're being strengthened and edified and encouraged and challenged and rebuked and corrected all at the same time. And there's spiritual gifts that are for the body that we can hear prophetic words that strengthen and encourage us, that give us courage because we're in a battle every day. That's why we need each other. All those things. We're in life group together, not because we're telling you as elders, hey, this is the game plan, be in life group to keep us happy. That's not it. Okay, we have small groups. We try to do a structure that allows these things and helps facilitate these things. So at life together, at life group, we can say, I'm in a battle here. Can you, I need prayer. I'm feeling tempted in this. I need to get someone else beside me to help me to keep me accountable. We can't force those things on you. We're trying to provide the environment where you have opportunities to then live those things out. That's being a follower of Christ. And there's sacrifice and obedience today. Folks, there's a great cost and a great reward. Okay? The rewards are endless. It's incredible to be a follower of Jesus and have peace with God. There's nothing like it on planet Earth. To know you have purpose and meaning and that you're loved and that you have acceptance and all your self-worth and self-concept and self-image and all those things that we struggle with and that we pay counselors and we try to find things, all those things are dealt with by being in a relationship with our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. Being filled with the Holy Spirit empowers us to follow Jesus. If we try to do this on our own, we're screwed, okay? We really are. Religious people try to do it on their own, okay? And a lot of times we put up a good face, we look like we're doing well, but we're into porn and we're into all these things, but it's just in secret. So we put on a good mask. Actually, we're messed up like everybody else behind the scenes. That's not what I'm talking about. It's the power of God in us by his Holy Spirit to say no to temptation and yes to Jesus. Because we're saying yes to something else that's better. And in due course, you'll get rewarded. A lot of times it's here on planet Earth. Sometimes we're going to have to wait for heaven. But God gives us hope and peace and strength and encouragement now. But there's a cost, folks. There's a cost, and the cost is this. I might have to say no to some things that might be acceptable for other people, but they're not acceptable for me because I'm a follower of Jesus. And folks, there's going to be a cost. Some of it's going to be friendships. Okay, and I'm not again. I'm not talking holy huddly way. From, we're all about we got to have as many friends as possible. Okay, but you have to be more of an influence than being influenced. And there's a cost to that. There's a cost to I'm going to take time to read the Word. There's a cost to getting up on Sunday morning. There's a cost to making a commitment on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday night. There's a cost to having some time to listen to God. There's a cost to saying no to the internet, saying no to TV, no to Facebook, because I'm going to spend time with God. That's a cost. There's a cost to my reputation. There's a cost when we come to money, sex, and power. There's a cost. But folks, there's a great reward. And the wake-up call is the reward outweighs the cost. And Jesus 
as we've seen, was the greatest cost. And he makes it possible for all the things I'm saying this morning. It's worth it because of who Jesus is. But he doesn't just leave us on our own to try to get on with it. He's right there with us. Jesus said, you're going, but I fear not, I am with you. And folks, we'll leave it this morning with this. Are we really followers, disciples of Jesus Christ? We have to ask ourselves that question. Have we been born of a spirit? Has it really affected us? Has it really affected my belief system, my value system, my character, my behavior, my worldview? And it's not a guilt thing. If it hasn't, hey, God gets our attention to say, you can start today. Have you counted the costs that, you know what, you might have to give up some things? And folks, it's painful. Okay? It's painful. Okay? It's going to be short-term gain or short-term pain, a lot of it. You've got to say no to things to get the long-term gain. But also, you've got to look at the reward. To have a clear conscience before God? Wow. To not have to be ruled by guilt or shame or perfectionism or striving or fear or insecurity. For those things not to rule you, but actually relationship with Jesus is what rules me? Wow. Folks, people give billions of dollars to trade to have that. The Bible, Jesus says this, all you need to do is this, you lay down your life to receive my life. And folks, I ask you today, do you have the life of Christ? Are you united with Christ? Have you laid down your life to hear Jesus say, come and follow me? And to be willing to say, Jesus might not say, hey, I'm going to give you a nice family with a nice backyard, with a nice house, with a nice paycheck, and all your problems will be solved, and you'll live to be 99, and you'll be on your own till then, and then during the middle of the night, you'll fade off into paradise. Jesus says, come and follow me, and he might not tell you what comes next. And it comes back to the very first thing that was said this morning when Adam read out from Hebrews 11. It takes a step of faith. They say, I believe God made the universe. I believe God sent his son. I'm believing in him. I'm going to lay down my life to receive his. And that's being a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus calls us to today, individually and together as a church. There's a great cost, but boy, there's a great reward. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you today. We thank you so much that you so love the world that you gave your one and only son, Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. And we thank you that you offer today for us to lay down our lives, for us to receive the life of your son, Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come now and do what only you can do, You bring revelation of who Jesus really is. You bring conviction for us to change. You bring repentance for us to change our way of thinking and our life to turn around and to follow Jesus. Would you come and do that now, I pray, and every person here, myself included, that I would count the cost and I would see the reward and I'd be obedient to follow Jesus all the days of my life. I pray in his mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name, amen.